Welcome everybody uh, to the London School of Economics for uh, this term's start of the Sustainability in Practice lecture series. And tonight I'm delighted to welcome Sarah Parkin, uh, who co-founded Forum for the Future and uh, created the very successful uh, Masters in Leadership for Sustainability there. She has a long history of working successfully to combine business and sustainability, uh, having played leadership roles at the UK and EU level with the Green Party. And she received an OBE in 2001 for services to education and sustainability. So how tonight is going to go is Sarah is going to uh, give us a fabulous presentation on sustainability enterprise, the future for business. And if we can just welcome Sarah, there'll be an opportunity for questions afterwards. Thank you. Thank you very much indeed. I'm absolutely delighted and honoured to be here. I gather it's a really exciting uh, day for the LSE, a Nobel Prize in the Economics of Unemployment, which seems sadly apt the way uh, things are going in the UK at the moment. Now, um, what, what I like to do, I'm, I'm actually hope I'm going to, as it were, work the audience and get you to do a bit of work because um, as I was sort of investigating uh, things like the big society and social enterprise and all of that, I came upon what could only be described as an enormous number of different definitions of enterprise and all sorts of other words and seeing as now uh, there's a huge debate about what fairness means and there has to be that debate about fairness if we're going to implement it if we want it um, and I think the time has come to have a bit of a debate about what enterprise means and whether there's anything out and about um, about um, how uh, social enterprise which is the buzzword of the moment is that going to be sufficient uh, to deliver sustainability? So, what I'm going to do, I'm going to gallop through just a, a couple of overheads to remind us of the scale of the, global, the challenge we face. And I'm going to just very quickly gallop through some of the dilemmas facing the business sector in relationship uh, to sustainability challenges very brief word about the policy context because it's that that really got me going to think about what is uh, social enterprise um, and, and is it going to be sufficient the way it is currently cast to deliver sustainability. I want to look at the terms and go back to a bit of fundamentals about what they mean and I want you um, to actually consider possible ingredients for a definition of sustainability enterprise um, and also to um, let me know if you know if there's anybody actually defining a sustainability enterprise um, in an operational uh, sense so that makes it easier for us to do it and then quickly because this is also about it's about the sort of about universities about the challenge that the sector faces at the moment and I want to talk about the moral obligation of all institutions and organizations and I'd like to get your feedback on whether you think the moral obligations are on us on individuals or are they on um, 
um, organisations, not instead of individuals, but as well as. Very quickly then, symptoms of a whole system failure. And this is really important because still lots of people do not get the interconnectedness of uh, sustainable development. Climate change, which is one symptom, albeit a biggie, of unsustainable development, the obsession with it has kind of eclipsed other things, um, including massive loss of biodiversity. And the very fact that despite um, our, the way we've sort of run our economy and, and up to quite recently considerable economic growth, we've still not managed to crack all the social um, dilemmas like inequality, injustice and poverty. And now we're seeing this negative feedback on us and the way we lead our lives because of unsustainable development. So we're caught up in a little bit of a negative cycle. Um, this is some advice that was given by the National Intelligence Council to um, President Obama shortly before he became president. Pointed out that the future was going to be dominated by scarcity for not water, oil, food and airspace and that leadership really does matter. No trend is immutable. If somebody tells you sustainability is unrealistic, you have to ask them, well then, what is your reality? So there's absolutely nothing that says we can't turn negative trends round into positive ones and minimize the damage <coughs> of the negative trends. So it's mission possible. It's difficult, but possible. And the other thing that's happened is there's been a kind of sort of post Copenhagen tristesse after the um, failure of the meeting in December on uh, agreeing a new um, climate change uh, formula for all the countries to really uh, get involved and get signed up to. And we must have been, I think, kidding ourselves to imagine that that was ever possible. It's the equivalent of 192 nations signing up to a common energy policy. And so there was quite severe failure of governments to understand that the Sherpas were not going to be able to find enough uh, common ground. The organizers were imagining that the way they would organize this conference, exactly the same they've been organized in the, fast, in the past, was going to be sufficient. And the NGOs, because they were just chaotic, they were not able to come together with what was uh, a reasonable alternative, something concrete that people could get hold of. Uh, this is um, really um, what the problem is. Um, we know what to do. But the crisis, as Kofi Annan pointed out at the World um, Summit for Sustainable Development, is implementation. If we just implemented what we knew already, we'd be okay. And Jeremy Greenstock, who was a UN um, ambassador uh, for the UK, is actually very clear that if we want security on a global sense, if we want to tackle climate change on a global sense, it's going to require local targets to be set. Now, I know that sounds like think global, act local, but it's actually quite a strategic point he's making. It's not just about the environment, it's about absolutely everything. 
that a globally secure economy, well functioning, will, will sit on lots of local, um, um, really resilient economies. And I think that's a very important point that we can hold on to in the absence of an international treaty of some sort, the fact that whatever, even if that was to be decided, even if that comes, the implementation is still going to be in the localities. No silver bullet, just millions of right actions. And this is really important because the search for the silver bullet is really mounting. There's an enormous amount of money being spent on searching for you know, some big technological fix uh, to climate change. Um, and this, points out, this just points out that between the business as usual trajectory, which we are on, um, and the stabilization of greenhouse gas emissions and then a dropping off sometime after 2050 will depend on a lot of things, not just on energy policy. It's not just about saying, well, we've reduced CO2, uh, we'll be all right. We actually have to do a lot of things or we will not be able to get CO2 down in a way that actually improves human well-being at the same time. And so there is a, a portfolio of things that we need to do to get lots of different outcomes, all of which would add up. And the whole idea of the stabilisation triangle, um, which was originally just done for energy, is there's lots of policies that will contribute to sustainability. We just need to use our imagination. Now, where's business? Um, well, business basically is not trusted. If you look at the um, opinion polls done by Ipsos Mori, it's way down there with politicians and journalists as, as the people not trusted. About double the percentage of people trust the man in the street more than they trust somebody in business. And there is a real, real dilemma on how the model of business growth um, actually is not delinked from resource consumption. There's been a lot of attempts to do it. It's not really worked. Businesses are trapped by finance and business models um, that really push them to consume more, um, to consume more resources. We had the uh, deputy of the Bank of in England encouraging us to go out and shop and not to save. Um, they're caught up in dog-eat-dog -dog competition. And on the other side, they've got what the CEOs uh, who, who say when they're, in, when they're interviewed, they talk about the complexity of implementing sustainability challenges. And a lot of that's to do with the way uh, they're sold it by all sorts of NGOs, by academics and others. They're, they're not sold it as a complex package, um, yet implementation is complex. They don't have corporate structures and operations that are actually um, easy to put a great uh, idea like sustainability across because a lot of them operate very independently. And they've got competing strategic priorities, um, not least that shareholders have got completely different expectations of what businesses should be doing to those that are campaigning for social responsibility. UK policy, this is what got me going. We've got a big fiscal hole. Um, there's a big society, even though nobody seems quite sure inside uh, the Conservative Party what that is. Big debate about what it might be. And what I've given you there in bold is the sort of most sort of 
implementation-oriented definition of it that I've uh, found. Um, so it's opening up public services to new providers like charities, social enterprises and private companies. Um, now we know what charities are and we know what um, private companies do, but I said, well, what about social enterprises? What is the, the sort of key to everything at the moment? They are this idea that you just social enterprises will fix it. Um, and so I started to have a look at what they are. I'm going to skip the next one because that's heavy politics and I don't have time for that. Um, so I wanted to try and get some sort of definition for what a social enterprise was and what a social entrepreneur was. Um, and um, there's an enormous amount of jargon about what are they and how would they work. Now, this is what I've very sort of shortened um, bit of what I found, that social enterprises are defined as businesses and they trade for either social or environmental purposes. This is a definition from the Social Enterprise Coalition, a UK umbrella body. And they are distinctive because that is central to their purpose and any profits are reinvested to further their mission. Then you've got social entrepreneurs are individuals with innovative solutions to society's most pressing uh, problems. Now, why is there this difference? Do you see the difference between social enterprise as a business, but social entrepreneurship, which is um, supported and there's foundations uh, that put a lot of money into developing social entrepreneurs, um, but they're not businesses. They're being sort of trying to come up with bright ideas, but not necessary to implement them through a business um, or um, any other way. And social enterprises are not necessarily um, have to be innovative. So you've got kind of two things that are used, two terms that are used together and interchangeably, um, and they are not really in a sort of chiming with each other. And of course the question is, will they inevitably deliver um, sustainability outcomes? What do you think? What do you think? Do you think that's enough? Do you think that's sufficient as a framework to come up with sustainability outcomes? Mechanism? Does anybody look studying social enterprise or interested in it? No? No, no. Well, you might be interested to know that the Social Enterprise Coalition says that only 3% of its membership has got the environmental outcomes as it and only 7% of them are doing some trading that involves the environment. So clearly there's a little bit to go before you can say that that would do um, in order to get us to the sustainability um, enterprises that are going to get us outcomes that we want. So I went back, I got my trusty dictionary out and I had a look and discovered that an enterprise does not necessarily have to have a business definition. It just means an undertaking a bold or dangerous undertaking. An entrepreneur, therefore, is somebody who undertakes an undertaking. And I've put in there a quote from the Dictionary of Economics, one of the editors, this is our friend Evan Davis from um, the Today Programme, and that they, put, they describe an entrepreneur as an economic agent.
business definition of an entrepreneur from the economic side of it, where from the sort of social entrepreneur side of it, there isn't. But very interesting, that entry also says that entrepreneurs have not really been taken up in sort of neoclassical model, free market models of the economy because they are deemed to be perfect and to actually balance everything perfectly and not need entrepreneurs to intervene. So it doesn't, entrepreneurs are not really um, in the thinking of um, sort of free market economics. And innovation, again, business is putting new products or services onto the market or a new means of producing them. But then if you look at the non-business definition, it means to make changes. And in Scots law, I like this, is to substitute one obligation for another. So you could say that here, um, this lecture is a, um, an undertaking. It may be bold. I hope it's not particularly uh, dangerous. And so you've got quite a lot of definitions that don't involve business, and you've got other definitions that do. So what I've done is I've kind of sort of strip out all the confusion and come up with um, an operational definition of a social enterprise, which keeps the notion that it is an undertaking, any group of individuals, that has a socially beneficial outcome as its objective. I'm saying the undertaking can be voluntary, it can be a for or not-for-profit exercise. So the whole point is that yes, the surplus goes back in, yes, it's got um, a social um, outcome as its objective, but there's lots and lots of models or ways that it could happen, you could have a social enterprise. But do you think that's enough to guarantee sustainability outcomes?
using the, the, the economic definition of enterprise, that it's a business. You know, uh, a women or men gathering together to bake cakes for a social ga gathering. It's voluntary, it's got huge sort of social outcomes. They could even set up a small business doing it. Um, but they, or they could keep on doing it voluntary and selling the cakes and, you know, they do not, they, they, my, my point is that there are loads of models and that by taking a business definition of social enterprise, we're actually cutting ourselves off from lots of opportunities to think differently.
you're assuming a social enterprise has to be grant funded no, if it's not a business. Okay. we're 
chasing them separately and we're trading off and that's why we've gone into a mess and so it's only by sort of getting a sort of reconciliation into our thinking about what it is we want for the future um, that we are going to, we, that by getting them together it's going to give us sort of only uh, not just the best but the only chance of actually getting there and at the moment, there is not anywhere in any of the sort of social enterprise, whether it uses the word environment or not, any notion of that joined upness, that interconnectedness um, of what we do um, with the environment, with our social and with our economic goals. Now, I've come up with some um, agreed ingredients um, for a definition of sustainability enterprise, and this is where I really want your feedback. I'm going to pull up on the web, or rather Victoria and her colleagues are going to put up on the web, um, a piece of paper which has got seven elements of a potential um, definition for a sustainability enterprise. Um, and the, the idea is to sort of take a wiki effect, I'm sort of putting this out to the people to talk about. Um, and to come back and say, I think this is good, I think this is rubbish, you've forgotten this, you don't need that. And to actually try and improve on it. Uh, because I can't find a definition of a sustainability enterprise. And so here are uh, just a few things. The first, first top line, whether undertaken by an individual or any group of individual organisations, that comes from the um, refreshed. Uh, definition of a social um, enterprise, but it's got objectives. This is really important that are uh, outcomes that either directly contribute to the stock of natural, human, and social capital or increases the capacity of others to do so. And by the stock, I mean it actually builds natural capital, it sort of builds human capital, and it builds social capital because we've run down those stocks of those. So if you're, a social, if you're a sustainability enterprise, if you want to get a flow of benefits, you have to restore the stock of those companies. That's the stock and flow is a pretty classic um, environment, um, economic uh, concept, and it works with the environment and I think with human and social capital too. And so that's kind of the sort of holistic interconnectedness um, idea that has to be got into um, any enterprise, any undertaking that's got sustainability as an outcome. And the next one is, is that it's mindful of others and it's broader impact. So growth of capital or benefit in one area does not result in a dimin diminishment of capital or benefit in others. And I think this is quite important because people set up organizations, they set up businesses that they think are going to have a social or an environmental outcome, but because they're not thinking broadly, there can be downsides in other places. Um, for example, you can get quite a lot of um, uh, benefit from taking down trees and, you, and farming in the Amazon, but you're really trashing the environment. And so there is loads of um, examples we're heavily into recycling, and we are convinced that this is going to um, really have quite a big environmental impact. Um, there's an enormous amount of social capital being mobilised for this, yet we 
recycling is something you should be doing in a dropping waste stream, not in a rising one. So you're only adding to the problem rather than detracting from it. And I think that's the next thing, is the sort of notion of maximum benefit, which is the point that you made, and minimum damage, the effectiveness of your sustainability enterprise, that you can actually explain the gains and losses in each capital area and provide evidence of how the enterprise will maximise gains and minimise or restore any losses. So it requires you to think much more broadly rather than just setting up um, a small organisation to do just one thing. You have to think, if I did this differently, could I get more out of waste stream, you are adding energy and resources to treat the waste 
once it's already being generated. <coughs> so you're adding to the environmental burden. This is a really hard message for lots of people who've, you know, sort of been weaned on recycling as evidence that you're a good green. We need to have a falling waste stream where you're stopping creating waste in the first place. And then recycling begins to make um, physic, physical sense. And the other thing is the um, human behaviour change. This is not in the, the social enterprise literature, the notion that it's human beings we're asking to do things differently. It's a, if it's a social enterprise business, we're asking to buy d different goods and services. Um, and there isn't really a great deal of evidence of understanding about human behaviour change. What is it that makes people do things or think things or behave in a certain way? And that's really critical because we're not talking about an environmental initiative that's somewhere out there and if we fiddle with the environment a little bit, everything will be fine. We need to change the behaviours that we've got um, that have actually caused the problems in the first place and that requires quite a good knowledge of um, human behaviour and what happens when it's changing and that's sort of a kind of scientific and social literacy is needed um, in a sustainability enterprise. And again, number six is about replacing or will replace, and this is your time point, some unsustainable activity rather than adding a new product or activity to business or life as before. And again, that's another point. There's no use in having the creation of um, sort of much more um, environmentally and socially um, just ways of producing stuff if it's on top of the consumption levels that we've got already. So it's that substitution of unsustainable stuff for sustainable stuff and services um, that is, is needed. And there is no sense of that in the literature that I find, and this is my question for you, um, is for you to actually help to see if there is stuff out there. Those of you who are interested to actually do a bit of research and see if you can unearth um, something that might not really very deep um, research so far reasonably comprehensive, but I haven't actually unearthed this idea. So that's sort of the, a sandwich uh, between the beginning and the end, which uh, takes that uh, final definition from the social enterprise. So sandwich in between is one, two, three, four, five criteria <coughs> that need to be present for it to be a sustainability that it is very aware, very cognizant of being thinking about social, environmental and economic outcomes at the same time. That it's actually making sure that because it's thinking and doing the right research, it's maximising the outcomes right across the piece and it's making sure that there are no uh, negatives. Or if there are negative, they can explain them and perhaps justify them for short-term purposes to get longer-term uh, gains. And so I think that's um, and the notion of being scientific and socially literate, so you are able to engage people in change, you're not 
going against the laws of physics. The UK waste uh, policy goes against the laws of physics. Um, and you're also um, really thinking about how can I replace something rather than can I add or rather than adding to the uh, sum of products um, and their activities already. Now those are slightly expanded on here. It's going to go up on the web. And I'd really like um, to get your feedback, whether it is sort of now in our discussions um, or later by email. So that's what I'm asking you to do, and the, all the details are on that bit of paper. Um, yes?
So there is an opportunity to think about the sort of mesh, the warp and the weft of all the institutions and the organisations which we go through in our life, and which we engage with in our life, which give a sense um, to the way we do things. And there isn't really an understanding that it's not a culture change that's needed to go to sustainability. It's actually the infrastructure needs to be changed in a way that it sort of supports it rather than runs against it. And I think that's um, sort of my, um, again, sort of homework, if you like. What is it that these all, each of these organisations and groups have to do before they're only undertakings of those that contribute to sustainability? And I think the time has come now to actually really think about the infrastructure, about the organisations, about the institutions we have, and how do we turn them all into contributing to sustainability rather than actually putting up blocks or making it difficult for people as individuals uh, to actually uh, contribute themselves. That's it. I really want to um, hear your questions and what you think. And I hope you'll buy the book. Um, this is not in, in the book, but lots of the ideas that kind of underpin it are there. It's how you can become a sustainability literate leader or you can offer sustainability literate leadership wherever you are. Leader is a job, leadership is a quality, and every one of us can have that. And the funny title, The Positive Deviant, actually means we actually have to do the right thing. It's, it, there's no longer any time to wait for somebody else to do it or to organize it. And, and Copenhagen should have given a big shot across everybody's bows if we wait for somebody else to organize it. It will never happen. But we can actually become the sort of a um, revolution of people who are doing the right thing individually in organizations and deviating around all of those um, institutional and um, organizational blockages of uncooperative people. But the way that we do it helps them to change. And so that's basically, it's a sort of self-help book on how you can uh, learn enough about sustainability, your point, and also develop yourself um, as a sustainability liter literate uh, leader, wherever you are. So thank you for listening. And I'll hand over to Victoria, um, who's going to chair questions and comments. But do, if you are interested, I really am going out and about to sort of talk about sustainability enterprise, to try to come up with an, a sufficient working definition that will help people understand the sort of things they have to do, and that just social enterprise is not enough, and environmental enterprise is not enough. It has to be all of it together. three questions at a go and it would be really helpful for Sarah if you could uh, we'll take the first question and then if you have similar questions relating to that Hello, um, oh, and we've got a microphone if you can just yeah. say who you are uh, 
Hello, my name is Chantal. I'm the Environmental Compliance and Sustainable Waste Officer at the London School of Economics. Um, you do the recycling. <laughs> <laughs> but we are focusing on reduction and reuse, so definitely that's a, a major priority. Um, my question is regarding point number seven of what is a sustainability enterprise. Um, for, for I guess the ideal is for all businesses to, in the long run, uh, be defined as sustainability enterprise and the fact that you're um, asking that a surplus be reinvested um, takes away from the uh, promoting uh, investors to actually um, support these these businesses so how how can the multinationals and the the investors want to go towards being a sustainability enterprise if if profits aren't uh, aren't also equally um, important and uh, dividends paid to, uh, to the investors? Well, that's, that, that's, a, that's a toughie. Um, I think there is a choice, um, and I think there, and it's interesting what Unilever's doing, that is actually is trying to get out of the short-term tyranny of reporting growth in profits or turnover every quarter. And so that would be a good start. And I think the other thing, which may be one of the positive outcomes of the uh, financial crash, is there is real interest in what analysts do and know, and real interest in what the uh, rating agencies do and know, because they actually have a very narrow perspective on what economic or let's say viability of, of a business is they're not taking the broader view and that if they took a broader view and were able to take into account more the sort of impacts on social, on social impacts on the environmental impacts and come up with a rating. Now I know there are indices that do all that but it, it's still just so little and so slow the changes in the in big businesses that it, we, we've got to speed things up and so the idea of being able to think well how do these these businesses become social enterprises at the moment we've got sustainability enterprises these are organizations and businesses that have been set up in order to do something with a specific social or sustainability outcome or environmental outcome and those of them that are um, successful, they actually say they're just waiting to be sort of gobbled up and taken over, and there's plenty of examples of where that has happened. But there isn't quite so much discussion about how the big publicly quoted companies could actually move uh, towards becoming a sustainability or a, well, ideally a sustainability enterprise by shifting their business model they don't you know they they can choose what they are um, what sort of business model they have and so they can they can make that move okay are there any other questions along that that line Hi, um, my name is Mary and <laughs> I'm doing the Forum for the Future Masters in Leadership and Sustainable Development. 
Um, I just wanted to ask, similar to that, and also related to your last slide, it seems um, that it's sort of similar to the government's idea of big society with their push for social enterprises and businesses working with the community and with NGOs. And I was just wondering how you thought that this all fitted in together and was this an opportunity for organisations to move more into a, a sustainable business model? Because I know there's a lot of confusion from businesses, NGOs and even the government on what big society looks like. Can I, can I put up my political slide? I think um, we are n we're not 100% sure what the government means by um, the big society. And these are two um, quotes. One's from Francis Maud. Um, and the Selston Group is the radical free market ginger group inside the Conservative Party. And he, uh, on, the, on the eve of David Cameron's uh, speech, he made these remarks. And so one of the dangers is, I mean, I, I'm not anti-markets, but I just think there is a misapprehension of what a free market, a truly free market, would do down in localities trying to implement the big society. And those comments from Francis Moore reveal how the sort of radical free marketeers in the Conservative Party are talking about it. David Cameron, on the other hand, has got a much more sort of palatable definition um, of the big society, sort of an view, um, than Francis Maud. Now, we don't know what's going to happen yet. You know, and if you want to see what a, a really, truly free market does in communities, um, you can think of um, you know, post-Soviet um, uh, post, uh, Russia, you can think of some parts of Peru, you can think of um, some parts of Nigeria. So, there, you know, and it's not really very nice when you've got a really radical free market uh, working in a locality quite unregulated, you know, no whatsoever. So I do think we have a danger here of the implementation of a concept that hasn't really been thought through and worked through. And there is a real danger that we get the Francis Maud uh, version just out of carelessness, inexperience or ignorance on the part of the government. And the Labour Party has been nowhere in actually coming up with our questions and critiques about um, a big society. So that was one of the things that really prompted me to start to think about what would social enterprises do alongside charities and private businesses in localities to actually deliver the sort of, what they're saying, social benefit, but the um, well, environmental and other benefits as well. Um, and that's what really got me going in sort of in, uh, investigating what it meant. And I just think that the definitions are too weak. I think the understanding of the policy implementations is too crazy. And so I think a way of dealing with that is to actually come up with one we want. Hence the sustainability enterprise. I'll leave that up there as a warning. Great. <laughs> Gentleman in white. 
Thank you. My name is Tom Levitt. I work as a, a consultant on partnerships between business and charities. Uh, I could talk all evening about some of the things that I've been hearing tonight. Um, I, on the big society, I don't think it's accidental at all. I, I think Francis Moore is setting about this absolutely deliberately because of the faith that out of that sort of anarchy would come yeah. some sort of uh, riding your own bike and standing on your own feet. But you're absolutely right. There is absolutely no strategy for the big society uh, coming from government. And in fact, you're seeing the, the withdrawal of many of the uh, uh, many of the structures which assist civil society yes. uh, in terms of um, capacity building, uh, in terms of support for umbrella bodies, uh, and so on. Um, but the reason I put my hand up in the first place was, was just to make the point about, about big business, because we can't wash our hands of big business. And there are motives which are driving big business in many cases. If you look at Marks and Spencer's um, plans on energy and on their partnership with Oxfam for, for recycling clothing and so on, these are huge initiatives uh, and they will be significant and they will be far more significant because they're being done by a giant like Marks and Spencer's or by um, GSK with its moral obligation rolling out a free at the point of use malaria vaccine in Africa for example. Uh, it would be a far more impact when these big players are doing it than if we just waited for uh, the small sustainability enterprises to, to weave into the system. Um, just so I would not, I would not disagree with you for one minute because we uh, Forum for the Future has worked with uh, Marks and Spencers on their Plan A. So and we've got a lot of um, business partners. Um, so I would not uh, disagree with that one moment, but it's not sufficient. It's necessary, but it's not sufficient. And I think what I'm arguing for, there needs to be not just waiting for bus big business to do it for us. You know, it, it has to be other things as well. It has to be much more action as it, to, be, to care about what happens in the community, how the big society is going to be uh, rolled out. I just think the sort of the kind of shock about what's happening hasn't brought the kind of response I would have hoped it would have had. Um, and it certainly hasn't from the Labour Party. And it certainly hasn't really had from civil society yet. I mean, and I just hope it's not too late. So I'm not arguing against big business. I'm arguing for it, but it's not sufficient. My name is Jules Hayward. I'm also doing the course at Forum. Um, You're all looking very glamorous, I must say. <laughs> <laughs> it's on the same lines as, um, as, as what you were, you were saying. It's um, that big organisations can uh, have a bigger impact, but uh, Forum and, and other um, organisations have been working towards this for quite a few years now, and the changes, although have been are very worthy, um, as you say, there haven't been enough, uh, and we need more disruptive behaviour, um, like your book talks about being a positive deviant to try and, and, and move in ways that are actually um, going to be more in line with the timescale that we have, uh, and I guess, I, was, I guess that's why you're asking everyone the question of, you know, what is the definition of, of these 
movements where what what is it that we're, we we actually need because that is what the you know that's the big mm. overlying question is if we don't have a clear idea of where well our goals are then how are we actually meant to achieve them it's not really a question but more no, that's absolutely right well and then um just a, one of the government chief scientific advisors says that society has got to get better at saying what it wants. And I think that's right. And that requires organization to speak together rather than uh, as individuals. And there just isn't really the organizations outside the political parties. I mean, in my, in my uh, younger days, there was quite a lot of organization to make points of view heard that were not political parties, but there are not really quite so many now as there used to be, so I think the time has come to get more active. Hi, my name's Tamar, I work um, Head of Funding for an International Development NGO, and I've been working for about 15 years putting business and charity together for partnerships that achieve development, and I agree with you that um, not as much uh, as should have been accomplished has been accomplished. But the question was going back to the original point, and, and it links to a lots of other points that have been made. What role do you think there is, if any, of legislation to help move that business plan shift of big business, particularly so that the impact is, you know, is really at scale and large? I think it's huge. I mean, I'm not one for sort of lots of knots of regulation and things, but I just think government is a, is a, is a social enterprise. It should be a sustainability enterprise and it should be putting in place the framework within which it's easier for us to be more sustainable than not. And at the moment the framework that's in place means it's easier not to. It's easier and cheaper not to. And it can make it you know, cheaper and easier to be sustainable by using legislation. Hi, my name's uh, Rob Lynch. Uh, I come from a very big construction company and uh, we've done quite a lot of carbon today because we've got uh, big lorries, big excavators. We have a lot of people traveling to work to and from. Um, and uh, obviously why I'm here is to try and make a good environmental impact. Uh, the problem that I have, the obstacle, is, is our customers because our business is organized to serve our customers, to give them what they want. That's why we exist. Um, at the moment, I feel that our customers, who are very big blue chip companies, um, they're making the right kind of noises. They're saying, have you got an environmental plan? Have you, uh, do you want to improve on this? But to me, it's still lip service. And I'll give you a fantastic example. Um, I'm currently tendering for a job. It's um, it's about 540k. Um, it's to move excavated material uh, from one part of London to a disposal point. Uh, it's a transport site, so we can guess that it, the, the money's coming from all of our pockets on this. Um, we've quoted for the job. We wanted to come up with the best waste solution. We found a waste solution where we could use the River Thames to take that material out on a barge. Um, very good way to do it. Um, unfortunately, there was a cheaper solution that we also laid on the table, about 45k more. What do you think they chose? So that's what we have in that area. 
Um, I've, I've very much enjoyed listening to this, and um, I, I think the theme of leadership is a very, very important one, and one uh, I, I certainly want to do my part. Um, what I feel is the future when it comes to big businesses and then also to public organisations who are very prominent in our sector, we need a little bit more imagination like you've been talking about. We don't want to hear about this, have you got a plan, have you got this? Let's get stuck in, let's get involved. So our organisation doesn't just have Mr Environmental Man, the geeky guy in the corner and stuff. We want all of our people to be thinking in that way and we want all of our customers to be thinking that, not just one person, the whole thing, and then I think that we make some serious progress. You sound like a, um, a fully signed up positive deviant to me. <laughs> um, lady, right at the top in the middle, put your hand up again. Hello, um, um, my name is Daniela, I'm from Ecuador, <coughs> and I would like to ask uh, something regarding more developing countries' economies and how does social enterprise work there. Um, like, in countries like mine, micro-enterprises are trying to go up, and it's very complicated for them to even survive. How can we, what incentives should we use? So to try to make them become um, sustainable or, or social enterprises and should we just address it like from a social marketing perspective to make it become more attractive? Well it depends what these new social or sustainability enterprises are doing um, in what are called rather rudely developing countries. I think we've got to change our definition of what developed, developing uh, countries are. It's a bit dismissive and um, Lula in Brazil has been scathing about the way we uh, talk about countries who are not fully developed like us. Um, and I think one of the things that I talk a lot about is if you are thinking of setting up an enterprise, whether it is a for-profit or not-for-profit, many people do not think about how they can have a, whether it's a business or any sort of organization whose purpose is the growth of natural, social, and human capital. Um, one of the most interesting has been the El Sistema um, um, uh, system from Latin America, which is taking kids off the street and teaching them a musical instrument. It's absolutely revolutionized um, the life of these children. They're now able to make music. They are now able to get together and play music. They're now able to charge entrance fees to come and listen to them. Um, and it's happened up in Scotland. El Sistema has been tried out on a really rough estate on Scotland, and it's had absolutely sort of miraculous turnover of young kids who had no hope, no skills, no nothing. They now play musical instruments, they know how to play together. Um, and so there is so much that gives enormous amount of pleasure in the growth of our own uh, personal capital. How many of us actually have an education that fully, or a life that fully allows us to flourish in all the areas that we've got the potential to flourish. 
um, and the same for social capital and the same for natural capital. I mean, a massive amount can be done to increase the stock of, natu of natural capital. And there are businesses in that. And that. But people always think of a business, this is why I make such a fuss about um, enterprise being corralled uh, for the business definition. Um, there's so many things that we could actually do apart from making stuff, you know, and increasing the throughput of stuff in our economy. Because we have a, an economy at the moment that grows by us buying and selling stuff that requires us to use resources. And there is so much we could do to have economic activity that doesn't require us to consume a lot of resources. And I think that's the challenge for what are now called underdeveloped or developing countries to grow their economy round human, social and natural capital. Loads of activity that could be had there. Gentleman at the top of the back. Thank you for that interesting discussion. My, my um, question is on, on, on the one that was mentioned earlier in terms of sustainable outcomes. The delivery and how the f we have the, had the free market economics for over about say, around 300, 300 years. And here we have a dilemma of sustainability on a, on a global scale. You, in, you, you, in, you mentioned environmental, social and economic, but it goes beyond that in terms of the humane and the diversity we've had in terms of capitalism as we know it leads us to this incredible pressured experience of not having social capital. What do you think is the, the way out of it in terms of the infrastructures of responsibility you mentioned? Thank you. I think the, chal I mean the challenge in, the, in a nutshell for um, the economy is to instead of um, people being in business, they have, to make this, they have to make the business case for looking after the environment and looking after people, is to be able to turn that round so that you are making the social and the environmental case for doing business. So that's a kind of shorthand. Um, and I think once you start to do that, then you actually get a different picture of what, how the economy could be. I, and I, free market um, economics, there has really almost been no time when there's been genuinely free markets. And those times have probably been quite tough and rather brutal. Um, so we are talking about different approach to marketplaces and the rules that govern how people engage in them. And I think that's I mean, that's now sort of really, um, that's really sort of understood now after the financial crash that markets actually and, uh, and do not have, you know, a hand that moderates things. They are, you know, completely um, uncontrollable unless you put some controls in. And so I think that's the, um, that's the challenge. I'm not against capitalism, and we could have another two-hour discussion about the definition of capitalism, and there's probably about as many definitions as there are people in the year, this room and a few more. Um, I'm just talking about broadening the notion of capital. At the moment, it's been taken to mean financial capital, 
And actually, if you broaden it to think to natural, human, social capital, then you're in with a chance of thinking, how do we make sure that all those different types of capital are working beneficially for us all and the environment on which we depend? And so it's, you get a completely different idea of capitalism if you broaden the definition of capital. I'm just going to take a last couple of uh, burning questions. If we just do, if the three of you will just uh, ask your question one after another and just keep it to questions, please, that would be great. Hi, my name is Vinay. I'm a LSE student. I'm the MPA and uh, I run a, a social enterprise, my own startup in public health here in the UK. So I'm very excited um, about what we discussed today. I'll probably go to sleep dreaming about your sustainability heaven. Um, <laughs> But what will probably wake me up in a cold sweat is um, around your infrastructures of responsibility slide. Uh, and also linked, I think it was point, point five, around uh, human behavioral change and accounting for that. My question really is, um, it's kind of cross-cutting across that infrastructures of responsibility that you had. Um, and that is human nature. And really it's a question of how do we get to your sustainability heaven? given uh, two things around human nature. One, um, many humans are profit motivated, and I think that's a reality within which we need to come up with our solutions. And secondly, given uh, we operate in a democracy, political business cycles, as the LSE uh, has taught me uh, the phrase, um, are very short, and politicians' lifespans are a lot shorter than the intergenerational needs that we have to have to get to that sustainability heaven. So I'm wondering what your thoughts are in terms of uh, the pathway to get there. Right. In, well, do you want to do all three? Hi, I'm uh, James Beresford. I work for uh, Vedantic's uh, research firm, very interested in sustainable business. Um, so actually, I really liked your seven points for a sustainable enterprise. I just felt there was one thing missing, um, and that's, in a sense, preface to that has to be that you generate value. An enterprise has to create value, whether it's for your customers or uh, for your shareholders. You know, you need to build a building that you know, suits their needs or deliver an education. And it's in a sense, if you can do that while at the same time building on or maintaining your stocks of capital, you then become a sustainable enterprise. Uh, I wondered if uh, perhaps I missed something or if that's intrinsic to your definition of enterprise. And actually, to follow up on that, I was, I was wondering throughout the difference between a sustainability enterprise as you define it and an enterprise in the broader sense of the term that is sustainable, in which case there are many enterprises in many different fields um, that are sustainable. Um, but in terms of a sustainability, for example, uh, a social enterprise in the business sense of the term, if we do define it that narrowly, could be sustainable. So two things. Um, for a social enterprise to therefore be sustainable, what I think makes it unique is that it uncorrals the term business and turns it around and creates a different model for that by being sustainable to itself and to the community. So using two actually different definitions of the word sustainability itself. Uh, so I'm wondering, can a social, um, when you define enterprise so broadly, are we actually changing the way we consider an enterprise as a business model that would recruit investors and recruit people to look at it in a different light, 
or are we simply talking about larger enterprises that are sustainable in the end? Well, but just to take that one first, um, sustainable just means the capacity to continue. Bad things have got the capacity to continue as much as good things. So therefore, I mean, if we're lumbered with the word sustainability to deal with this at the same timeness for environmental, social, um, and economic out outcomes. Um, and that can get confused with the idea that sustainable just means the capacity to go on in the, in the longer term. And I think that um, a social enterprise can be sustainable. It will go on into the long term, but if it's part of the larger picture of wrecking the environment and having downsides for others rather than their own particular area of business, then it's not going to go on into the long term. So the idea is actually to move towards the kind of enterprises, however you define them, undertakings of all of us, um, whether it's a business one or it's not, that we're doing something that actually has the capacity to go on forever genuinely, but also is contributing to everybody else having the capacity to go on um, uh, into the long-term future. So that's number one. Um, I, I hope that sort of, sort of unwrapped that a little bit, if nothing else. And that, that idea of growth, of adding value, I think growth is another word that really needs to be thought through hard. Um, and if you think about growth in an economic term, it's quantitative. But if you think about growth in the natural world, it's qualitative. So a, a tree grows and it becomes mature and after a while it starts giving back to the rest of nature. So we've got an economic idea of growth that ma seems to consider this infinite increase in a quantitative term. So we need to rethink what we mean by growth. Do you, have you read Herman Daly? I mean, but there's absolutely no reason why we can't go on and on having a range of interactions that add value to other people's lives, whether we're doing it on an individual personal basis or in things we do together. And so my point is that if you're thinking about the value you're adding, you have to think about it as the whole package of sustainability to make sure that by doing good here, you're not doing harm over here. And, and at the moment, we're, we're not doing that. Very, well, very few people are doing it. And then the other one, which was um, profit and democracy and human nature. Well, I am convinced that human beings are at least 51% nice, you know. 
Um, I actually think there's, uh, it's a lot more than that. Um, and there's all the behavior economics that have coming out and this, that we are hardwired to fairness and, and we are really hardwired to cooperate rather than to compete. I mean, there always would be a bit of competition. There will be, you know, even if you were living in, you know, the most simple society, there would always be somebody who grew bigger onions than somebody else and sort of got more from. So I'm not talking about sort of that sort of equality, but there is, at the moment, the way our economy is, is, construct, is constructed is it's based on the downside of human behavior. It assumes the worst of us. And it's not just the economy, it's the way we run society as well. And there is an opportunity to turn it round, and the big society could do it, though I'm not sure that it will, actually build on the best of people. One of the, the real things that's missing from all the discourse from the government about big society is just how much there is going on already of people doing things together down in the communities to fill gaps, to do new things, to all sorts of things are happening. I, I come from an island on the west coast of Scotland where people got together, three and a half thousand of them, and they spent ten years fundraising for a swimming pool because there was no swimming pool on the island, too cold for the kids to learn in the sea, and they were drowning. We had several children drowned. And the, and the community just got on and did it. And the same with some chronically sick children. So quick, quick round, and they bought a flat in Glasgow so that the parents of the chronically sick could actually go and stay in Glasgow because the National Health Service only pays for a certain amount of time. And in London, I live in the, in the East End, in Hackney, and it's exactly the same feeling in the community there as there is on this island in the north of Scotland. It couldn't be more different, but there is an absolute network of things going on, of people looking out for each other. And my fear is that it's going to be squashed by turning it into a business, whether it's an enterprise or, or any other. And that's my concern. Okay, we're coming close to time, so I'm just going to take one further... Oh, we've got lots of people spread all over the place. Oh, they so didn't like, they didn't like that. <laughs> Um, so we'll have a couple of questions from about the room. We've got this gentleman here. Yes, thank you. And if you can get the mic to the gentleman in the back row. If you can make your questions really short, we can have more questions. I'd like to pick up the thread about education, because I am embedded full-time within a faculty of art design and architecture as a sustainability specialist. The model people often talk about is what happens at Dartington in Cornwall. Do we need to um, kind of break down the HEI system and have a much more peripatetic mode of higher education. And the gentleman at the back. Hi. Um, we talked a lot about consumption and how it keeps on increasing, uh, but we did not touch upon uh, the increase in population, and uh, that's the main reason. Uh, I would like to know what your thoughts uh, are on that, uh, because I feel that's the main point. Thank you. Okay, while well, we're sort of doing that. 
I, I think that from the minute um, a child leaves um, nursery school, that's primary school, if I'm being generous, is the time they stop having a sort of joined-up education where they things are all stitched together. And from then they go off into subjects and they go off into university and it's even more divided. I mean, what is missing is that whatever it is, however you organize it, um, that actually brings the learning and the understanding together in a way that means that they're the big issues that people are facing out in the real world, or governments are facing, facing, are actually being addressed by the academy. I think if there, you know, there isn't the intellectual capital in the universities to really start getting together all the things that are about human behavior, um, about being able to integrate social, economic, and environmental outcomes. It is all there, but it is absolutely scattered all over the shop. And so how it's done, I don't really mind. And, and I think that's the sort of the biggest responsibility I feel at the moment is for universities to actually, you know, get together in some way so that they are actually have a process whereby they're really addressing the challenges that we face. Um, I, am, I was on the Nat Natural Environment Research Council board for quite a while, and I totally defend um, research into particular areas um, and all the rest of it. But I think the atomization of the learning is now really having um, very negative consequences on the individual who is, you know, very specialist in um, one way, um, but actually hasn't got all the broad knowledge and understanding that means they can interconnect with others. And it's one of the reasons that I set up the master's program um, was to actually create sustainability literate people, help um, uh, potential future leaders become sustainability literate, which involves not just a depth, and they've all come with one degree which has got depth into it, but actually got the breadth of knowledge, understanding, and experience as well. So I think there's a lot education could do. Population, absolutely bang on. I'm, uh, um, I'm very big on this, and I, I get into all sorts of um, hot water about it. Um, I think that with a really big intervention, uh, just by getting family planning to those that say they want it but don't get it, um, would be able to bring us in under the lower uh, UN um, estimation for where we're going to be in 2050. Uh, the fact that it's not imbued in everything we do and say that you know there is a responsibility about the number of children we have. I know Lord Hunt got into a lot of hot water by saying that those those on uh, um, those on benefits should breed less, which is not something that I would I would actually say. But I just one tiny tiny incident. I went on to uh, we published something on population um, in an organisation that I'm involved in. I went on to breakfast television to talk about it, and when I arrived in the studios, there was a lady of um, Nigerian origin with a husband and eight children. Now, it was really interesting because she was there, the 15-year-old was saying, oh, you know, but if I hadn't have been born, I wouldn't be able to become a doctor like I want to. So it was a real nightmare. And I 
don't underestimate for one minute the joy of a large family and all the rest of it. But it was very interesting. She said um, that if she'd actually thought about it, she probably wouldn't have had that many children. So it was quite interesting that people do not think as much about whether they're going to have a child or not as they do about buying a new car. But if actually people thought, then perhaps um, that would help um, as far as uh, family numbers are concerned. So that's as far as I'm going to say, but there is, um, there is lots of stuff written about it. I'm actually not going to take any more questions. I'm sorry, we're out of time. And um, just two things to flag up to you. Sarah's book, The Positive Deviant, is on sale just outside the lecture theatre. And she will be here for a few minutes more if you want her to sign the book. And the invitation to you is to help her define sustainability enterprise, whether in your personal life or your business life. Um, so she's looking for a big definition for big society. So if you can contribute, it will be uploaded to our website, the document, and you can email in. Thank you very much, Sarah. Very interesting.